Hey everybody, this is Stephen Davis and you are listening to Feet for Thought. It has been a minute, it's been a while since I've been on, um, obviously last time I spoke to you guys, uh, it was the day before my son's fifth birthday, which went really nice. Um, we went, took him to the aquarium, originally he wanted to go to Legoland and then he suddenly changed his mind and decided he wanted to see sharks and uh, children are so funny. Because literally we got in there and within minutes he's saying I want to see octopuses and I want to see jellyfish. Now unfortunately the jellyfish uh, were basically the last exhibit in the aquarium. So he didn't get to see jellyfish until right at the end. And they had about I say about six varieties. And the way they did it is like the jellyfish literally get bigger and bigger as you go through. But after about two batches of jellyfish he's like yeah okay I want to go now. And we're like, there's, there's like several more jellyfish to see. Like, don't you want to see these jet? Like, look at them. They're amazing. Like me and my wife were like, look at them. They're amazing. And he was like, I'm, I'm, I'm done now. I've seen them. I want to go now. But, you know, we, you know, took our time. We went through, we, me and my wife enjoyed looking at the jellyfish. And then we took him to, uh, to a Lego store to buy, you know, for him to choose set a lego for himself um but it was cool it was a cool day we did a lot of walking walked about five and a half miles in total that day which with a heavily pregnant wife um she was a real trooper to do it but it was cool and then we uh went to tgi friday had some dinner which was you know which was cool it was a really nice day um there was you know some bit of sweetness to it because uh obviously it's the first birthday of my son where my dad hasn't been here um their birthdays are three days apart so my dad's birthday was on the 15th and then my son's was on the 18th so um it was bittersweet for that reason obviously my dad not being uh being here anymore uh so it was bittersweet for his birthday and then it was bittersweet for my son's birthday because yeah my, my you know my dad has been there uh the whole time and you know he was first diagnosed with cancer literally about three months, <clears throat> three or four months after my son was born. So, um, yeah, so, you know, but otherwise, you know, it was, a, it was a good day. It was a nice time. And my son enjoyed himself and has since been enjoying his Lego. So, you know, we praise God for that. Um, other developments, as, you know, as I said, I'm nearing the completion of the book. Um, so I'm working on one of the final chapters now. Um, even once that's done, there's still some work to do with the book. So I'm going to need to edit it, need to, you know, proofread it, need to format it because I am, you know, I'm self-publishing. So, and, um, you know, being a graphic designer and being a bit of a jack of all trades slash control freak, I like to do everything. So I'm formatting the book. Um, I do want to get other people to proofread it and, you know, give some feedback. So when people are asking for ways they could help out and support, that would actually be one of the ways. Um, maybe once the Kickstarter is launched uh, for certain people who uh, pledge a certain amount, I may allow them to get m- maybe an early copy of the book or maybe some of the at least sample some chapters and they'll be able to read and give feedback and and what have you. Um so yeah i've got that to do once the book is done uh definitely need to trim some of the fat it's clocking in at the moment at about 450 plus plus pages so i would like to try and trim it down a little bit um just to kind of streamline it fine tune it 
um, and make sure that it's a bit more succinct than than it probably is at the moment. Um, but also one thing I want to do with the book, um, which I feel is quite unique is I wanted to incorporate infographics into the book and not just any old infographics. I wanted to basically have one infographic per chapter, which will summarize the main themes of the book. So, you know, being a long book, you know, being, it's, it's going to be, you know, quite lengthy as it is. Um, sometimes what happens with books is you'll have these really great books and they're so dense and full of so much information that you can't possibly remember all of it. So it's nice when you can have something that summarizes it. And I think there's something about putting some, uh, you know, concepts and ideas and teaching in visual form, which helps it stay in your mind a bit more than just reading it on the page. So the idea is that at the end of each chapter, there'll be an infographic which will summarize um, the themes of the book. Um, and then I'm going to put all of those together into a um, little booklet. So people who um, pledge to the Kickstarter campaign um, over a certain amount, one of the rewards will be that you'll get a digital copy of all of those infographics together. Um, those who pledge a bit higher will be able to get a printed copy of it. Um, but I just thought it's, it'd be a nice way to revisit the book for, you know, for those once they've read it. And just be able to refresh their minds on the key themes and, you know, elements of what the book is talking about. And also because, you know, my wife, she has a degree in English literature. So she's, you know, really good at editing and reading and proofreading and grammar checking and spell checking and all that stuff. However, my wife tends to not finish books that are over a certain length. I remember she was reading The Bait of Satan. She's been reading The Bait of Satan for about three years. And there was a time period where she'd get to about nine, between nine and 20 pages in. And then she'd start again because she'd just leave it for a while. I forget what page she's up to now, but she's actually read you know, more of the book. Um, so originally she was going to go and, you know, proofread it and edit it and you know and i was she you know she believed the lord told her not to but i was kind of like listen if if i get you to proofread my book this book isn't going to be released for five years but um so i just kind of like are you even going to read it because you just don't finish anything and this book's going to be long but um i thought one nice thing about the infographics will be because it will be summarizing the themes of the chapters and it will be in visual form um, I know that she'd be able to look at those and grasp, you know, the key themes in the book. So, you know, I'm hoping that that will uh, also be something, you know, for everyone else to do. So once all of the chapters are written and more or less finalized, I can start creating the infographics. Um, maybe going to take some inspiration from the Bible projects. I really love the way that they do things. Uh, but, I'm, you know, I'll play around with some ideas and see how it works. But, um, yeah, I do want the book to be very as much as I want it to be theologically rich. Um, I also want it to be visually rich. So the book cover especially is something um, that was very important. That's actually, I actually did the book cover before I did anything else. Before I even wrote a chapter, I designed the book cover and it took a while because I had to create this image of the bride of Christ from scratch. Um, if anyone does want to see that, if you, um, Go to the link in my bio on Anchor. Uh, go to my, you know, my link tree. So have a list of links there. Scroll down to the bottom, and you should see the Kingdom, the Body, the Bride, and the Tabernacle, which is the name of the book. 
and that will take you to the book website which is in dire need of updating because it still says the book is coming out in the summer of 2016 but you'll be able to see the book cover and the image of the bride and all that stuff it's best viewed on a desktop or a laptop computer but it does have a mobile and a and a tablet site as well um but yeah you know go go check it out and you can see the image of the bride uh Bride of Christ who represents the church and that's going to be a very prominent image and promotion and all of that stuff so one of the other things I'm going to do with that image is something called uh, the Be the Bride campaign so again this will be part of the Kickstarter campaign um, everyone who pledges about £5 or more um, you will have the opportunity to become part of the Be the Bride campaign so your name will be incorporated into a silhouette of the bride which I'll then use in promotional material and will eventually be printed out on a t-shirt. So the idea being if I could get loads of names, it would look really cool. If it's just like one name, then it's going to kind of suck. But, you know, so, you know, begin spreading the word if you you know think people would like to be involved in something like that. Um, and if by viewing the website, it piques your interest enough, do start to share and invite people to listen to the broadcast as well, um, you know, building the audience from now be very important as you know no one knows who i am other than people who know me so word of mouth is going to be really important in terms of promoting the book and all of that but you know it, it does feel great to be nearing the end as you know i think i said in the last broadcast i did that this you know book has been in my mind since 2012 um, i didn't start writing it until the beginning of 2015 so it's more than two and a half years I've been writing on and off, obviously starting up my own business, um, being a family man, helping to homeschool my children. You know, there, there's only so much time you have, you know, to write. Which is also why what tends to happen is when I spend a lot of time writing, work suffers. And when I spend a lot of time working, writing suffers. So, um, yeah, so it's finding that balance um, hasn't been that great lately. So something I really need to work on. I had quite a good system early on where I'd wake up early. I spent about two hours in the morning writing, spend the rest of the day working and then, you know, spend a, some time in the evening uh, writing as well. But kind of fallen out of that habit. But, you know, also trying to go as the spirit leads, I guess. Um, and just allow the Lord to lead me to the best and most opportune time to, you know, start writing things down and all of that. But, you know, we praise God that I'm nearing the end of the book, starting to feel it's really coming together. Um, you know, there were times I was writing and I was thinking, man, what is this book even about? Even I don't know. So, so sometimes people ask me like, you know, what's, what's the book about? And I'm just like, um, cause there was just so much stuff and there's so many different themes and I guess because in many ways it's tracing the thread of the narrative of scripture from Genesis to Revelation so it's almost for someone to ask what your book's about is almost like for someone to ask what's the Bible about in many ways you know so it, so it was hard to really find that that thread that runs throughout it but uh, definitely in the last couple of weeks I feel like I've finally honed in on it so I can finally just describe to someone like someone asked me what is this book about I can tell them, you know, in a nice, succinct paragraph what the book is about. Um, but yeah, so that's what's going on with the book. Um, that's what's generally going on at the moment. Um, we've been kind of grounded the last week since Saturday. 
because uh, we had an MOT done on our car, um, which I don't know if you guys have it in the States, but it's basically a yearly test that you have to get your, done on your car to make sure that it's roadworthy, that it's safe to drive. Uh, and my car failed. It didn't fail, thankfully, because of stuff like the engine. It failed because of things like some light bulbs weren't working and the windscreen wipers weren't cleaning the windshield properly and one of my wheels is slightly out of alignment or something like that. So, you know, there were easy fixes. But then the big one was that I've had this warning light about the airbag. And unfortunately, that's something where it's basically like a wire becoming frayed is the problem. But they built the car in such a way that you can't just replace this wire. You pretty much have to replace your entire steering wheel. So that's going to cost quite a bit, which sucks because I was meant to get the car MOT'd and serviced. That alone costs almost £200. And then this getting this airbag fixed is another 200 And then getting everything else fixed is about another 150 So it's just crazy and so because of that we haven't been able to drive the car because if you don't have a valid MOT certificate you can't legally drive your car even if the car is fine you can't drive it so um, that's been difficult um, especially getting around uh, luckily yesterday we had my mum come and um, help take us around because we've got some you know had some errands to run but um, yeah it's, it's been a bit bit trying a bit testing and I was also very nervous because we had another problem with our car back in November um, which needed to be fixed that was a bit more serious that was actually to do with a leak in the engine like oil leaking and and in the end that cost us it was meant to cost us about 800 pounds to fix um, <laughs> until I told the guy like listen I do not have 800 pounds so I cannot afford what needs to be done on this car and then he was like well i can drop it down to 600 but you have to pay me in cash which i thought was really devious um because i didn't have 600 pounds in cash that i could take out of an account at that time you know i had like i had a credit card and i was like listen i can pay you on this credit card just you know can you not do anything he's like well if i pay on the credit card i have to charge you vat so, you know, I'm trying to do you a favor, blah, 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 blah. When really it sounded like he just wanted to get some cash in hand and not have to put it through legitimately in his business, which is his business. But to me, it was a bit like, eh. So in the end, I had to use the credit card to take out cash, which means a high interest rate. And, you know, only just finished paying that off like last month. So then for this to now come up for this car again, is like, eh. So I think I've probably spent more money fixing the car than the car originally cost but you know that's just kind of one of the things that happens with cars so those are the current trials and tribulations of the davis family but i'd be remiss if i didn't segue at least some into something biblical so um yeah this just came um really from general reading that i've been doing recently but it raised a question and a question i'm going to pose to everybody listening how important is the Old Testament to your Bible reading, number one, to your Bible study, number two, and to your understanding of theology? How important is the Old Testament to you? And I ask this question because for Christians, by and large, there is a severe neglect of the Old Testament. Um, even though it makes up about 75% of our Bible Many Christians don't know the Old Testament. Very few read it. Many just stick to the New Testament 
stick to the gospels, stick to the epistles, and are very much like, well, all of that stuff is law. I'm not under law, I'm under grace, therefore I don't really need to read it. Not realizing that so much of New Testament theology is founded and rooted in the Old Testament. Case in point, you can't understand the book of Hebrews if you do not if you have not read the book of Leviticus. And most people, most Christians don't tend to read the book of Leviticus. It's because, you know, you read, you read Genesis and Genesis is just so dramatic and this amazing narrative and you go through Exodus. It's like, oh my gosh, this is so exciting. And then you come to Leviticus and it feels like everything grinds to a halt, which isn't really true. There's so much important stuff in Leviticus. Um, so I highly recommend that everyone read it. Everyone read Deuteronomy. Everyone read Numbers. Just read, read the Old Testament, read the whole thing. Um, because it is framing the new. You can't really fully understand the new if you don't understand the old. Um, and not only that, like you can't, if you know, if you're not aware or mindful of the Old Testament roots, you're gonna miss so many gems in the New Testament. Like the New Testament quotes from the old so many times, but how many of us, you know, follow those cross references? Actually, go. And find that Old Testament reference and read what's there, you know, or even read the wider context or read the whole book. You know, very few of us actually make that a habit. And it's something we should do. We should understand the Bible from beginning to end. And that's why I think, you know, one of the resources I'd highly recommend, excuse me, is the Bible Project. Because it's in visual form, five to eight minute videos covering the, you know, entire books and themes in the Bible very easy to follow, summarizes it all nicely, and it really gives you a sense of the broader picture. But there's a lot of detail that isn't in there, so you know, would recommend going in and reading and studying the books. And that's also why I would highly recommend that anyone who listens to this broadcast and who's listening to this right now, go and subscribe to the Naked Bible podcast, which is Dr. Michael Heiser's podcast. I recommend it because he does a lot of stuff in the Old Testament, he's a Hebrew scholar, scholar of the Old Testament. And so a lot of his material is based in the old, you know, it's not that he doesn't do anything in the new, but, it, you know, I've learned so much through listening to his podcast, reading his book, following his content on his blog. Um, and it's really helped open my eyes to the importance of the Old Testament. And so my theology, my Bible study and my walk with Christ, my life has been enriched buy it um and i think when you train yourself to look at scripture in this way and to be mindful of the themes and the typographies and um all the other threads that just connect the old to the new you pick up on things you know you pick up on these little gems there'll be these little phrases that are thrown out and you're like oh that sounds familiar that sounds like something over here let me go check that out and that'll just take you on a great rabbit trail um, down the hole into Wonderland and you will find treasure, you know. Um, so one such little gem came from the book of Exodus. So I'm currently reading through the whole Old Testament again. Um, I just finished reading the whole Bible in the ESV. So now I'm going back and I'm reading it again in the NET, the New English Translation. Um, so I kind of made that my mission now to read through the entire Bible in multiple different translations um, all the way through. So currently in the book of Exodus, um, and came across this passage in Exodus 12, verse 42. So it's in relation to the Passover. So it says, it was a night of watching by the Lord to bring them out of the land of Egypt. 
So this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by all the people of Israel throughout their generations. So the Passover is called a night of watching by Yahweh. So he calls it a night of watching. And um, this same night is a night of watching kept to the Lord by the people of Israel. And they're meant to keep it throughout their generations. So in other words, for as long as they exist, perpetually, they're meant to keep the Passover as a watch night. So they're meant to stay up and watch, right? Now, does that ring any bells? It should. Because in Matthew 26, 40 to 41, listen to what what's said. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you could not watch with me one hour. Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, in Mark 14, verse 37 to 42. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to, to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. So, Obviously, Jesus praying in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is after the Lord's Supper, the Passover meal. So it's on the same night that's being referenced in Exodus twelve forty two. But what's interesting is that this was meant to be a watch night. Like all the times before this, I'd read this account and just assumed that Jesus just wanted them to stay awake with him because like he knew what was going to happen. And he just wanted his friends like, you know, stay up and pray with me. Like I'm about to be de delivered to the enemy, like stay up and pray with me. But in actual fact, there's far more significance and depth to it in the sense that all of Israel who were keeping the Passover were meant to be staying up and keeping watch to the Lord. And with the disciples, there they were with Yahweh incarnate, with the Lord. And he himself was telling them, stay up and watch with me. Like, you're supposed to be doing this anyway. So when he comes to them, he says, you couldn't even wait. You couldn't even watch with me one hour. It just has so much more potency to it because of what they were supposed to be doing. They were supposed to be awake. They were supposed to be watching with the lord or watching to the lord keeping watch to the lord on his behalf you know or keeping watch for what he was about to do and obviously there is a further connect between the two events because you know what jesus does on the cross is a type of what god did with israel in the sense that um you know, when he first begins his mission, when he goes into the synagogue in his hometown and he reads from the book of Isaiah and he, you know, he talks about, you know, it's the acceptable year of the Lord. You know, uh, it's the year of Jubilee when the slaves are set free, when the blind eyes are opened and all this sort of thing. It's all about deliverance. It's all about um, being saved from the oppression of the enemy. And that was what salvation looked like for the Israelite. We think of salvation as being saved from death and from hell and all of that stuff. But that's not actually how God defined salvation for the Israelite. 
For them, salvation was modeled by the Exodus. When Yahweh comes, when he sets people from oppression, from being oppressed by the enemy, and he takes them out of their bondage to himself as a people so that they can serve him in peace. So when Jesus is saying to the disciples, you couldn't watch with me one hour, he's saying you couldn't watch to see what God is about to do. You couldn't even watch for one hour. You know, don't you see how important this is that your deliverance, the deliverance of not only Israel, but the entire world is about to happen. And that's why you should stay and watch. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was a fascinating connect um and again it's it's one of those things that you're only going to pick up on if you if you're paying attention to the words if you're paying attention to certain themes um and if you'll be mindful of the fact that there are if not all like the entirety of the new testament is rooted in the old like you know we have to remember the early church didn't even have the new testament so their Bible was just the Old Testament. That's all they had. They didn't have the gospel accounts. They didn't have the book of Acts. They didn't have the epistles of Paul. They didn't have Hebrews. They didn't have first and second Peter, first, second and third John, Jude, Revelation. They didn't have any of that stuff. All they had was the Old Testament. And yet all of the theology of the New Testament was drawn from the old. So when we neglect the Old Testament, we are neglecting a good two-thirds of our bible and two-thirds of our theology if we think we have a complete understanding of the things of god just by reading new, the new testament or by you know reading parts of the old but not really reading the whole thing we are missing out on so much stuff there's so much nourishment so much enrichment to be found in it um and we would appreciate the um the entirety of god's plan the mosaic of his plan so much more if we spent time looking at the Old Testament roots for New Testament doctrine. Um, and there was one other connection which I came across this morning. And this one's in Exodus chapter 30, verse 17 to 21. So it says, the Lord spoke to Moses, you are also to make a large bronze basin with a bronze stand for washing. You are to put it between the tent of meeting and the altar and put water in it. And Aaron and his sons must wash their hands and their feet from it. When they enter the tent of meeting, they must wash with water so that they do not die. Also, when they approach the altar to minister by burning incense as an offering made by fire to the Lord, they must wash their hands and their feet so that they do not die. And this will be a perpetual ordinance for them and for their descendants throughout their generations. Now, as I was reading this, the references to washing their hands and feet caught my eye. Um, so here we have Aaron and his sons, so the priesthood they would have to wash their hands and their feet before they were allowed to minister lest they die. <clears throat> now, this immediately drew my attention to John chapter 13 from verse 3 to 10. It says, Jesus, knowing that the father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a bowl, uh, taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing, you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, 
Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And so this drew my attention back specifically because of Peter's words. So he's like, you know, oh, wash, wash my, not just my feet, but my, also my hands and my head. Um, and I was wondering, did Peter have in mind what was being spoken of in Exodus 30? Um, did he grasp in some sense that what Jesus was doing wasn't just an act of service, like it was that as well, but it was symbolic of the fact that they were about to become part of a new priesthood, not the priesthood of Aaron, but the Melchizedek priesthood. Um, and so just as Aaron and his sons had to wash their hands and their feet, so Jesus was coming to wash their feet. Now, um, he washed their feet specifically because the feet were obviously closest to the ground. Therefore, they were the most likely to get dirty. And washing someone's feet was something that you did for guests, you know, for guests of honor. You would wash their feet for them and, you know, um, give them a bowl to wash their hands and what have you. Make sure that they're clean and that they're tidy. So in that sense, we have what Jesus was doing there. But because of Peter's words, it made me wonder if there was a connection back to Exodus 30 and the institution of the priesthood um, and whether both Jesus and Peter were, were drawing that connection there. But the significant difference is that Jesus says you only need to wash your feet and you're completely clean. Peter's more thinking in the old covenant mindset of no, not just my hand, not just my feet, but my hands and my head also. So wash me from head to toe. But Jesus is like, nah, you only need to wash your feet. The other difference is that in Exodus 30, the priests themselves had to come and wash in the bronze laver. Whereas um, what Jesus was doing was here was God incarnate himself coming down to wash the feet of his priests. So I just think that that's an incredible picture of the new thing that the Lord was doing that wasn't like the old. Um, in that in the old you had to come yourself you had to wash yourself but here was the lord yahweh coming in human flesh to uh, take on the form of a bond servant and actually wash you himself so that his presence could eventually take up residence within you um and so i just thought that was you know that was really cool and that was um a really amazing thing and hopefully i'll go on to find more gems like that as i continue to read um and, you know, it, it, it's this is why, you know, one reason why I say it's important for everyone to try and read entire books uh, in one sitting, if possible. And I know some of them are long, but, you know, you, you get so much more from doing that and also from reading in more than one translation. So I may have read through the whole Bible in the ESV, but I didn't come across these themes until I read it in the NET because then there just may be, you know, different translator choices. Uh, may just catch your attention in a way that you know a different translation uh, didn't um, and that's also why I think it's important to use more than one when you're doing bible study specifically um, maybe not so much bible reading but definitely bible study if you are studying scripture in depth uh, it's always important to have more than one translation so um, I generally use the ESV um, the NET the LEB um, and in New King James, and I also use a Greek and Hebrew interlinear as well. Um, those will normally be my tools that I'll use in my study. Um, so 
you know, something that I recommend that everyone does. Uh, don't just stick to one. Uh, always use several um, within your study and you'll find that your, you know, your study and your reading is highly enriched. Um, but otherwise, that brings me to the end of what I wanted to uh, talk about today. But if you have any comments, any thoughts, any questions, do call in, give those claps and leave those comments. But otherwise, have a blessed day. So I played this song um, by a guy called Ruslan, who um, I didn't really, haven't followed recently, up until recently, um, and really only started to listen to his stuff as a result of the recent um, CHH controversy with um, him, Shailin, and Hazakim. But you know what, I really like the album, so um, shout out to Harv at Seat First Sports for recommending it. But um, this song in particular really resonated with me because it just spoke to my situation in the sense that yeah i haven't had a um nine to five regular job for two years and i've been working as a freelance graphic designer so yeah it just it just spoke to me on that level so really enjoyed it but um yeah other than that here are some call-ins oh my goodness Old Testament is so vital to us as Christians. I, how can you understand what came after if you have no idea what came before? Um, I have two very distinct memories. The first is going over Bible commentaries with my dad, Rush Dooney and Matthew Henry and several others. Um, it was actually one of the things that we loved doing together right before he passed away. And um, he raised me to have that um, that at the very least, the understanding that there is so much to glean from the Old Testament in understanding what exactly God did and the um, depth of meaning that He put into everything that He did. Um, so that was that's part one. The other memory that that this prompts is when I was um, ten ten years old, I think I. Our church's Sunday school program had me graduate out of the little kids and into like the middle schooler Sunday school and I was so excited. I remember this. I remember being so excited because it meant that we were done with the average Bible story approach and that I thought now we would really get into what it meant to be a Christian and and who God really is and we could ask questions that meant a lot to us and all this stuff and then the very first Sunday we talked about Jonah and the big fish and I was like I'm out I'm done and I went to my dad and said please can I just come and sit in your class because mine is so stupid and he did he he taught the the college and singles Sunday school class and I went and sat in there and listened to my dad teach and took notes and asked questions and it was great but um, I do think that that is a common way i guess that churches deal with the old testament is they take all of the vignette type stories that are laid out and they give them to children and say look at these amazing things and examples that god has done but then they never take the step of as adults looking into it for themselves and understanding it with the mind of an adult um, rather than the very simple surface level examples that those stories show us and um, I guess what I'm so appreciative of 
from my dad was that he had the heart to draw those connections, to draw those lines between the old and the new. And it gave me a much deeper appreciation um, for the truths that God has and for the understanding that I have and for the understanding I don't have and how it's complex. Now, having said all of that, lest we get an inflated view of how Victoria studies the Bible, I, in complete transparency, right now, I've actually had a tough time getting into the Word of God. And um, part of that is like an escapism thing and like an overwhelmed thing, and I'm dealing with that. But um, I, it, it's encouraging to me to hear you talk about it and to hear the love that you have for Scripture because it was that love of Scripture that helped me to get deeper into God's Word and to develop that thirst and hunger for the truth of God. So um, I have been reading it more recently. Okay, hold on, buddy. And uh, this is just encouraging me to go ahead and jump back into it today. So thank you for sharing everything. And I'm looking forward to checking out the, the guy that you mentioned. So thanks. Hey, Victoria. Thanks for the call-in. Um, it actually brought up one of my chief bugbears, which is, um, I guess, the watering down of scripture for young children. And I remember a dream I had uh, probably about a year or so ago, maybe even more than that, maybe a year and a half ago. And it was my son standing outside in my garden and the rain was pouring down and he had a Bible in his hands. And um, when I woke up from the dream, I believe the interpretation I got was that I shouldn't try and water down the word of God for him. Um, and sometimes I think we underestimate just how much children can understand. Um, and I was thinking about Romans 1, where it says that, um, you know, that the wicked or the unrighteous have no excuse because God has revealed himself to them, even his eternal nature and Godhead. And that just made me think if... Um, if we have a natural propensity to to know about God or learn about God, um, and if, you know, how many of us can point back to the moment where, oh yes, this is the moment where God revealed himself, that he exists, you know? Um, if we just make the assumption that we're born with it, and then if we also consider just how easily children soak up knowledge and learn things, you know, why do we go into teaching them the word, assuming that they just won't understand or grasp it unless we really water things down uh, now granted i haven't been as consistent with this as i would like so my, my son still has you know one of those beginners bibles which are heavily illustrated and has a lot of children's bibles that are heavily illustrated and i think they're great for um giving you the visuals but yeah you're right in terms of really teaching you um what these things are about you know it's it's almost like the way we um the way we treat the old testaments especially in relation to children, it's almost like fairy tales. So you have, you know, the creation, and you have Noah's Ark, you know, all these animals fitting into this tiny little boat, and and then, you know, Jonah and the big whale, and Samson the Superman, and, you know, it's just, we never really um, place those stories within their, you know, within their context, um, and really weave the narrative of scripture. Um, so, you know, my, my hope is that I'll be able to do that with my son and you know and with my daughters um and just sit them down and be able to just read the bible and 
they you know, hopefully they will take in what they will take in um so yeah that's definitely one of my my bugbears and your um sunday school experience does remind me of the first church that i ever went to where they also had that thing where you started off in the kids group and then you would graduate to like the teen group and then graduate to the adult group and I remember being in the kids group and so looking forward to graduating that because you got this nice little metallic badge like it was like a shield and my sister had one because she was in that group and I was so looking forward to joining that group and then my little brother was born and we had to move to a different church and I was so disappointed um but yeah, back then I, you know, I did love Sunday school because I was the kid who knew everything. You know, I, I knew all the stories. So I knew who Noah was and Moses and Jonah and all of that stuff. And I was really proud of the fact that I knew it. But, you know, looking back, it's kind of like, yeah, but, you know, I didn't really know all that stuff in its greater context. Um, so, yeah, I do, I do think it's important that we don't water down the word for children, um, that we try and present it as it is including all of its warts and scars and horrible stuff um because there's a lot of stuff in there that you know um we wouldn't even let our children watch on tv but it's there you know it's part of the history of of um humanity and god's people and to learn why we're here and what we're meant to do we have to kind of take the good with all the nasty as well but yeah thanks for your calling